Uh, the stars are oh, good God. every 10 years. Is that right? Don't even track? get me started on Indianapolis that one. Indianapolis even in have a hockey team. Oh, Mike, Mike Madano, that's his name. I was like, mm. Mike Wazowski. That's, Mike. Mike that's Mike a monster thing. He's same. a monster. <laughs> that's for my other podcast. <laughs> I'm watching you, <laughs> That was good. That was pretty good. We should just do, a, just do an intro of just impersonations one time. <laughs> We've done accents before, and I don't think that was Oh, great. that was horrible. Let's not bring that up again. <laughs> All right. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. This is episode 330. That's how old I was one year ago. But now I'm 31. Wow. Hi, wow. My name is Patrick Armstrong. <laughs> I'm one of the hosts here of the John Chi Show, and I'm with my other host, KJ, What's and up? my other host, Nathan. What are we going to do today, guys? First, we're going to tell them what John Chi means. Nathan? Yes. John Chi. John Chi. <laughs> Part of the word dull John Chi from how we originally t- <laughs> took it. But uh, celebration, feast, we want to enjoy life. <laughs> okay, that's not really what we want to do. We want to feast with each other and explore our Korean heritage as well as um, our identities and our stories and, uh, and explore some food. So we are uh, we are the John G boys. Ayo. That was a pretty good explanation. Oh, that yeah. was a good summation of that. Okay. I like that. Also, I feel like for as hot and as fast as Patrick came in, you were like, and now the opposite. <laughs> so I'll Goldilocks it and just be right there in the middle. Okay, good. Perfect. <laughs> that was right in the middle, too. I loved it. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. We got a great show today. Uh, Matt Delator, our guest. Um is that that's who that's who it is, right? <laughs> okay. Yep. That is <laughs> All right, I forgot. Um we just getting, that we're in. just been getting so far ahead because you know we're professional podcasters now, which Are I really now? enjoy saying. I I'm saying it. Okay, here's it's, the deal. Uh <laughs> while we are technically receiving monies. Uh, I don't know that I would call us professional podcasters, as this episode will have been a twenty-four hour less than tw- uh, it will be. It will have been a twelve-hour turnaround. But isn't that professional, yeah. Nathan? How many I how many twenty-four s- hour shoot, shoot turnarounds did you have you done? I've for, done for same day turnarounds. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. You okay, can, you can Yikes. you can do whatever you want. Time does not make the title of professional versus amateur. You're I would right. say Money we could, if you want, if you want to go in the middle, you can call a semi-professional. How about that? I'm okay, okay. with semi-pro. Semi-pro. Okay. I'm yeah. okay with that too. We'll go with semi-pro yeah. then. All right, we're working up to pro. We're <laughs> only halfway through uh, one year, so that makes sense for us yeah. to just be semi-pro. We did and just then, hit like our six-month anniversary, right? Yeah. Hey, we've got what over what thirty-four hundred listens now, so that's pretty good. But I'm, it's not about the numbers. I'm it's about the sure. It's not about the we shouldn't talk about numbers. It's about Sorry. the fans. <laughs> We, he meant 34 million listeners. <laughs> we That's how many listeners. 34 billion. <laughs> um, well, this is not what we were going to talk about originally, <laughs> I don't think. Um, nope. But I think it is fair to talk about just, I know we do a lot of recapping, kind of where we're at, um, but we don't ever talk about in terms, I feel like a lot of the technical part of the show. Um, That's because people as, fall asleep unless you're really interested in it. Well, you know, okay, I'll stop talking. Like about I'm it. really interested in it, but I realize <laughs> I know, like I'm other people too. are just like Nerds. not gonna be interested. Nerds. They're like, you watch the behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings multiple times, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's why I want to be a filmmaker. 
I think there's a lot of people out there who want to start podcasts and would be very interested in the behind the scenes. All right, See? that's fair. You're right. See, Nathan said it. If, right. if this is behind the scenes, if Nathan in front said it, of the then scenes. it's law. Yeah, this is <laughs> no, definitely yeah. not. Because it's in the podcast itself. It's in the podcast itself. No, but what are we talking about? Aren't we, we're talking about KJ. Gross. I was going to ask, should we restart? <laughs> I don't know if I derailed us so no, too fine. badly right there. No, that's fine. Yeah, let's talk about KJ. KJ had a great for. thing come out today. For the listener who for the listener who may not know, KJ, uh, our host KJ, is pretty musically inclined. Um, and today, he released a brand new single called Into the Dawn. Uh, it's right? called To the Dawn. Oh, I mean, no! I sing. <laughs> no, I, I sing. I, I also just sing To the Dawn. It's not... Into the I thought dawn. it was into. To the dawn. Nope. I mess to up the titles dawn. constantly. So my apologies. To the Dawn. KJ, um, talk to us about that. It's a great song. I love it. I, I really enjoyed it when you sent it to us yesterday. Uh, and I'm glad you've been getting such a really good reception today. Uh, what's it been like to put that out and how are you feeling about it? Uh, I feel very good about the song, um, which is why I decided to put it out. I was not originally going to put it out, um, which is probably why it is good. Um, <laughs> I... Do not call myself a songwriter. I've gotten some very lovely emails and texts saying um, things that would imply that I am a songwriter. I am not. I have written a song that does not make me a songwriter. Um, so yeah, it was it was good. It just it came out of um, having some time alone this weekend, um, and yeah, I just I sat down mostly as therapy for myself to write the song and just explain how I've been feeling for the past you know however long it's been and. Um, I'm in a lot of ways still very much uh, in the middle of, of these feelings. Um, so, yeah, so it's been been lovely. And I just, you know, in the course of doing this podcast, I was like, I found that giving language to each other is one of the best things that we can do, um, especially when we're in areas like adoption conversations or uh, mental health conversations where your vocabulary just may be kind of small. Um and so even though your feelings don't need a vocabulary, you need to – like your friends need a vocabulary and, and your loved ones need a vocabulary. So uh, that's why I decided to share it. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was mostly just for me to say this is how I'm feeling. And um, I think the song is more aspirational than I actually feel. Uh, so it's kind of nice to listen to myself back and be like, hey, that's me saying this to myself. Uh, you know, like don't give up on hope and, and be you'll be okay basically. So wait, are are you saying that you just wrote and sang and did everything this <laughs> over the weekend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I just sat down. It was Saturday night. Yeah, I I just sat down to write it, you know, and I, and I just wrote the line. I feel like I'm falling. I feel like I'm falling apart. And then uh, before I knew it, it was twelve thirty, and the song was done mostly. And I was Dang. like, oh well, I gotta go to bed and do church in the morning. But uh, I'm pretty happy with this. So yeah. I that's pretty impressive. I don't know who writes and <laughs> produces a song over a weekend and then of I don't know. I'm pretty impressed. I thought this is something you'd been working on for like months or something. Nope. So. It just poured straight out just, of me. Which also I will say, wow. you know, anytime I hear somebody say, like, yeah, I wrote the song in ten minutes, I'm like, Oh, so you didn't care about this song at all? <laughs> you didn't like do a, a double take or whatever? But like so it, it wasn't ten minutes, but um it was surprisingly fast even for myself. Huh. So yeah. But it was very good. Thanks, man. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really good, especially for, like Nathan said, the quick turnaround. We were just <laughs> talking about quick turnarounds, you know, with the podcast. And here you are turning around a full, fully produced 
fully mixed and engineered song um, over a weekend. I'm even more impressed now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's I think it is true, though, that even though you did this all and you poured the song out songwriting wise over a short period, it is something that you've been kind of building up to because it's your story and your journey. And even like you just said, it is something that it's aspirational for you because it's not even necessarily how you maybe fully feel in the moment. Um, what has been the reaction from uh, just not even adoptees, but other people in your circle? I know you said you've been getting some nice letters, but especially connecting with the lyrics, um, which I got wrong. So obviously I didn't connect with it, <laughs> but for other people that did, uh, what, what, what have they been saying? What, what's been the feedback for you? Um, I mean, it's generally just positive, like, hey, this song is great. Um, mostly it's, hey, this song is this song is actually pretty good. Like, I'd actually, <laughs> I would listen to this, you know, which I think is, it's it's the layman's term of being like, this is a, uh, you know, professional thing, you know, mm -hmm. like I would, yeah, I would, I would listen to this. So in some ways it's, it's kind of a, um, it's a well-meaning put down, but it's also like <laughs> kind of the highest compliment that you'll receive from like your best friends is like, yeah, I would, I would spend money on this. You know, it's not just, yeah. So, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's one, generally been the reaction. One of those comments was from me. I remember I said something else. I'd listen to this if I didn't even know you. And I thought about that afterwards and I'm thinking, oh, that kind of sounds yeah. a little backhanded, I guess. I meant, I meant it's really good and I like it, <laughs> but it means even more knowing that I know you. So I guess it's like, it's one of those things where like, I, and I think this is true of a lot of people in the creative field when they make the jump from hobbyist to amateur or uh, amateur to hobbyist to professional, right? Like when you make that jump to professional, um, and you show your friends and people and like, they've seen your journey, they're like, Oh, Hey, like Nathan, that's a pretty good picture. Like I would actually like buy that from you and be like, well, that's, that's the point is I am now a, a professional <laughs> photographer, pay me for my services, you know, but like when you just get started, they're like, like, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, this is good. This is, you know, whatever. So that's what I mean. Like it's, it's super well-meaning and it is kind of a put down, but like, it's just very funny. To I me. always <laughs> like it when I, when I write, uh, when I photograph a uh, picture and it's like someone looks at it and goes, wow, that's a really good picture. You must have a good camera. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that would be the same thing if I said to you, it's like, wow, you, that was a really good song. You must have a really good keyboard or a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. microphone like, is just yeah. like, magic. Oh man, that's such a great picture. Did a professional take it? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, me. I am the professional. <laughs> it's very funny. Have you had anybody come up to you that didn't know you did music like that and was like, "Who did you? Who did you work with? Like, what studio did you record that in?" Or does everybody generally know? No, uh, only Nathan was doing. like, "Oh, you actually wrote this song. It's not the cover." <laughs> which, <laughs> which to be fair to Nathan, Sorry. I pretty much exclusively do covers, so it's not like out of that the question. That is true. <laughs> that is true. That's funny. Um, well, I freaking love the song. Uh, I listened to it a ton already. Um, I we know Nathan does in the text chain. We saw the love that he was shown for it. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I just think it's, I think it's really exciting the amount of people that have been posting about it. Um, people that I wouldn't even necessarily have even expected, I suppose. So just from what I've seen and from your repost. So I just think that's awesome. Um, and that's why I'm sitting like this because I think it's so awesome. Just enamored, uh, with the song itself and that you felt, you felt the courage and the, and the strength enough to put it, to share it with other people, you know, cause I know music for you especially is very close to your heart. I think stuff that you create yourself. I don't think you're you're quick to just throw it out there. I'm somebody when I make music, I'm like, I want the, I thought this sounded as soon as I recorded, I'm like, this is dope. And I'm like, I gotta put this out immediately. And hindsight being what it is, probably a mistake. But um 
I think the way that you approach it, I really appreciate. So that's why I wanted to say that. So go listen to it, people. If you haven't heard it, it's on (laughs) Spotify and iTunes. It's called To the Dawn. It'll be a movie soon. Wow. Uh, (laughs) I've never heard of that trajectory, but that'd be... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I like it. I just bought the rights of this song to make, what, a new song? No, a movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's, I, I appreciate you saying that Patrick. Um, it's funny, like the, the thing that I struggle with most is lyrics because I get into my own head. Um, and I'm like, oh, it's not good enough. Like it's not, you know, this isn't like, uh, a Grammy award winning quality thing, you know? Um, and I, it is obviously unfair, uh, for me to hold myself to that standard, but that doesn't stop me from trying. <laughs> um, so this is the first song where, I mean, literally, I think it, I stopped getting in my own way. Um, and I was just like, you know, it was one of those things where, um, in the verses, there's only three sections of four bars instead of four. So it's a little off balance for me. Um, and I was like, well, the Beatles did it in yesterday. So like, it's, <laughs> it's fine, you know? And yeah. And, and I, you know, I wanted to try certain things and I was listening to, to lots of things, but I think really, um, I wanted to express, uh, how it felt like, or how it feels really for me to be in a depressed state. Um, that it's literally, sometimes I just wake up and I'm like, Oh, today I'm sad. Um, and there's no, there's nothing I can do about it besides like, you know, kind of soldier on and, and do my life. Um, and it's not like a thing that I make a big deal out of, but, uh, you know, I, for me, I find that my cycles, uh, are usually anywhere from two to 10 ish days, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and you know, in this moment, it's just been like, Oh, it's been like four or five weeks now that I felt like this, you know, and a lot of it's been, um, just about everything that's happening in America, uh, surrounding, you know, uh, Asian American violence and, and, and the way that that's uniquely impacted me. And, and, you know, it's a lot of different factors. So it was just like a, Oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that. And then I woke up and was like, Oh, it's been, it's been a long time. Um, and nothing has changed, you know? Um, and then I, I specifically wrote the bridge just because I've been wrestling with, you know, being an adoptee and, and coming out of the fog. And, and I was really excited to write about, um, the idea of the dawn um that the dawn for me has always been such a a moment of hope and um and a thing that uh you know whether the phrase is light breaking through or if you go to greek mythology there's a god i I don't remember if it's hermes or who but this god uh literally pulls the dawn from the night um that that has always been a phrase that stuck with me is pulling the dawn from the night um and that you could uh so forcefully through grit and determination um, pull a thing that maybe doesn't want to come into being and that that would then affect the whole world and help the whole world like get on with their day you know uh, so i was really excited about that and just uh to write about being an adoptee to write about uh depression and um that, like like we said this is a a thing that a lot of us struggle with is mental health and um so yeah so i was just excited to be like hey i i I now feel comfortable saying I am a content creator for Korean adoptees. Uh, I will say previous guest, um, Nick Capicotto commented and said, can't wait for the next single. I was like, you'll be waiting another 10 years. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Nick. We appreciate your support, but you're going to be not a songwriter. Song. I just, yeah, I'm just like, just play this on repeat. That's all. Nick, if you're still listening in 10 years, uh, then KJ will put a song out. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm putting it on record right now. That's true. Um, that's going to happen. So, all right. Well, Nathan, or <laughs> yep. KJ, we are the same. We love the song. 
Um, people love the song. Uh, really glad to hear it, and really glad that we can use the song as a springboard into our episode, which has nothing to do with music. Has True. everything to do with food, which is another type of content to be created and then consumed. And then consumed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a great show. Cannot wait to get into it with Matt Delator, uh, an executive chef, Karina Dopti, uh, from or in Philadelphia currently. Also, the host of one of the coolest and most inclusive clubhouse rooms, uh, the Clubhouse Coffee Shop. Um, really excited to get into it with Matt. We talk about a lot of different things, um, specifically from that food lens, and he has a some pretty crazy stories about that and also how adoption has played a role in that. So we're going to roll that clip. Boom! Bop, 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 We are here today with a very special guest. Uh, I am excited to, to have this gentleman come on our show. We are here with Matt Delator. Matt, thank you for joining the John Chi Show today. How are you doing? Going on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, Absolutely. Welcome. I connected with Matt on Clubhouse, which you've heard us talk about a little bit, and it's been really great to connect with him, and he's a mover and a shaker. He gets things going on Clubhouse. It's really amazing. Yeah, my phone blows up all the time because <laughs> Matt, Matt's on. Matt's on. This today is Matt's on. Matt's on again. And so yeah, you're 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 running Clubhouse. It feels like he really is running it. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, I want to start, Matt, with uh, hearing a little bit about your origin story. Tell us a little bit about um, maybe where you were adopted from and where you grew up and what that was like. Yeah, so um, I was uh, born in Seoul, Korea um, in 1991. Um, I was adopted when I was five months old. I was supposed to be adopted when I was four months old, but my uh, a week before um, I was supposed to come, my mom got into a really bad car accident and collapsed her lung. And she was she called she called the agency and was like, "Do not put that kid on a plane right now." So they pushed it back a month. So I came here when I was five months old um, and was raised in Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. It's this relatively small town in um north jersey what some people call central jersey but it's it's north jersey but um yeah so i grew up there and then uh <clears throat> as soon as i turned 18 left my parents house moved to philly and i've been here since that's pretty much the origin story i'm sorry patrick i know you're eating tacos <laughs> no, that okay. was supposed to one. be a longer <laughs> answer <laughs> i got one bite i got one bite in and it was good Busted. and then i was listening i didn't want to take any more bites because i wanted to hear what you had to say um that's awesome though man um we've had a few people now from the east coast is this our second jersey guest was oh wait no where's brandon live does he live in jersey uh he yeah he is originally from new jersey yeah. but he doesn't I don't think he lives there anymore. Or originally, I guess. Because Matt does not now live there. I don't know. Brandon, you can yeah. at me. And later. the Nunchi, Nunchi Co's are over in uh, oh, yeah. the And the DMV. Yeah. So. East Coast, I said. East Coast. Yeah. Anyways. Oh. Um, right. That's really what awesome. What is geography? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we talk about on the show is geography. Uh, the geography of the East Coast. Um, I mean, we don't not talk about it, actually. That is true. We do We do talk about it. Um Matt, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in your small town in New Jersey. Um, you know, I think a lot of stories that we've shared here and a lot of our stories grow up or growing up come from, you know, those small, predominantly white spaces and not a lot of diversity. What was uh, that experience like for you growing up? Uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely very interesting because um, like so I was I was one of um, a handful of Asians in my grade. Um, there were there were a decent amount of Asian families in the town that I grew up in, but a lot of them were either older or they <clears throat> um, didn't have kids in my grade. 
Um, so it, it was it was super interesting because like growing up in a town where pretty much everyone knows everyone, um, you, you you kind of like grow up feeling white, um, <clears throat> which is really. I don't know, it's looking back at it I'm I'm just like I, I cringe a lot just thinking about this stuff that I've done um and how I used to act <laughs> back in the day um but yeah so it's like I I pretended that I was white I did things that were quote unquote white um the friends that I had I I felt more comfortable talking to the to the white folks than I did with the Asians cuz I didn't really feel like I was included within that group um, and I think that's like a, a huge like adoptee thing, <clears throat> just having that feeling of not really belonging in any any sort of group. So you kind of just pick and choose which ones you want to associate yourself with. Um, so, yeah, that was that was um, I wouldn't say tough, but it was it was definitely an interesting feeling. And like I've kind of like tried to compensate for that and uh, build a lot of Asian friendships now. <clears throat> Most of my Asians are predominant, or most of my friends are predominantly Asians. <laughs> most of my Asians, baby. <laughs> yes, that's just walk into a club. Where my Asians at? Yeah, I just have a like, whole Matt, handful no, of Asians. That's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I, something you said uh, there, just like you know, I felt, or I think you said it was like I felt white. Um, we all just kind of nodded at the same time. And like you said, you know, I think it's something a lot of adoptees, transracial adoptees go through um, when you grow up in a space like that. Uh, that really resonated with me. Um, something that I dealt with where I was always just wanting to hang out with my white friends and only and like only the people that I grew up with and things like that, even after I got into college. So I think even now at 30, what like what you said about overcompensating to like make up for it compensating to make up for it that's what i'm doing right now i'm like all right where are all the asian people and now when i look at the people that i hang or talk to i guess i shouldn't say hang out with but talk to it's a lot of asian people and like my white friends um even though they are my friends and i use that term liberally as i did last episode um i think it's just an interesting dynamic um so yeah i just wanted to say that that really resonated with me you said it was tough um i don't know if you want to elaborate on that feeling of otherness, I guess, from the Asian community that you were or, or surrounded by when you were growing up. Um, what was that, if you don't mind elaborating on kind of what that was like, uh, specifically from your perspective? Yeah. So, like, most of my friends, like I said, were white. Um, I did have a couple of Asian friends. Um, my best friend in, like, fourth grade up until about middle school, um, he was Korean. And it like it was tough because it's not it wasn't tough like while it was happening. It was more like looking back at it now that I think about it, it was tough just because like he was like one of my closest friends and he was Korean like I am, but I never felt like that kind of connection between our Koreanness. It was more just because, oh yeah, this is my my friend who lives down the street and he's super accessible to hang out with. Like just like any sort of like best friends you have growing up like it's usually like location based um and like i remember <clears throat> i remember his mom would make us mandu and like that was always great and everything but i never really associated that with being korean um so every time i look back i'm just like oh shit like i had like ample opportunities to kind of <laughs> just like learn what it means to be korean um yeah so like it, it's tough looking back at that and realizing like i i essentially had an ajima that i could have like taken full advantage of 
but I didn't at all. It was kind of just like, oh, yeah, shit, food. Okay, I'll eat. And that was pretty much it. And then we went and played video games. <laughs> that makes sense, uh, especially judging from where you ended up, uh, how food was something that you've been uh, would have been drawn to. Um, in that space, did you feel any pressure to want to like to hang out with the other Asians and the Koreans? Like you said, the Korean, uh, your Korean buddy was your best friend growing up. But did you feel like any self pressure or any outside pressure to hang out uh, or associate? No, growing up, like I, I think that the fact that like when I realized I was adopted, it was more it was more so the feeling that it was just like I wanted to erase my Asian-ness. Um, <clears throat> and the only reason why I was friends with Asians were because like they were close to where I live and I could go hang out with them whenever I wanted to. <clears throat> um, but like even during school, like I would hang out with other people that weren't Asian as opposed to those friends. And I think that's kind of why we um, we lost touch and we we, we gained t- uh, touch again. Like we got back in touch um, when we all like grew up and we became adults and they live in New York and I live in Philly. So every time I would go to New York, I'd actually hang out with them and like have like a meaningful hangout session friendship with them. Um, but yeah, it was like the, the whole erasure of like my Asian-ness was a very big part of my childhood because I didn't want to be Korean. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to associate myself more with my parents, with my with my older sister and my friends. Um, and I think it's because, like, looking back, um, I, I was almost, like, I guess to a certain degree jealous of my sister. Not necessarily because she was biological, but, but because she was successful and I was essentially just a piece of shit. Um, and I think part of the feelings as to why I did the, like, the things that I did growing up was because I was different, um, because I was adopted. So it was, like, I could either go one of two ways. I could go the direction that my sister went. Or I could just be a complete rebel and just fight back and just have that whole, like, you're not my parents mentality. And I chose the latter. That makes that that really resonates with me, too, because I feel like I was instead of going completely rebellious, I was trying to walk the line of acceptance. And I wanted to be accepted by not only my friends, but my parents and just really anybody that I came across, because, you know, like you're like you had said, I was erasing and like actively erasing and dismissing my Asian identity because there was no one else that looked like me except for my adopted sister. And we were far enough apart in grace grade level that we never had enough interaction to really form a meaningful relationship outside of we're brother and sister, I guess. So um, I definitely get that. And I definitely get kind of the jealousy because my sister while younger is much more successful than me. And I think that was always kind of the case. So then I felt like I was competing with that too, trying to be successful in a way. Um, You had also mentioned on your form that not only do you have a biological older sister, but you have two adopted siblings as well. What's your relationship like with them? If you uh, care to speak on that. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm pretty close with most of my, like like all my siblings. Um, My older sister was very, very much like a a second mom. Um, She was the, she was the one who was valedictorian of the high school. She got a full scholarship to, um, to, to go to college. She's getting her PhD MD or MD PhD right now um, from an Ivy league school. Um, <clears throat> so I guess it's almost like um, it's, it's almost intimidating um, to, to kind of like try and match her. Um, so like the, my relationship with her is, is it's good, um, but I get along way better with my younger sister. 
um, because I, th- I think we kind of both went through um, an almost rebellious type period. And like, she kind of understands me. We, we, we have very similar personalities. Um, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty extroverted. Um, so I tell yeah, so today she, she turned 21 today. So now I can actually like take her out to a bar and stuff and go have a drink with her. Whereas if I ever said anything remotely close to like, Hey, Lori, who's my older sister, do you want to go? Do you want to go get a drink? She would, she would look at me and she's like, what, why are you asking me that? <laughs> Like the only alcohol my sister drinks is when she takes communion at church. <laughs> the best kind. Yeah. yeah. And then when it comes to my older brother, so my older brother, um, he has a couple of neurological disorders. Um, so it takes a little bit um, more time for him to process and understand things. Um, I love him to death. Like he's a great dude. He's one of the nicest people that I've ever met. It's just connecting with him on certain things is a little bit tougher. Which is why I usually like say that, yeah, I'm closest with my younger sister. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think your sibling dynamics are really interesting. Um, seeing not only have a biological sibling related to your parent or your adoptive parents, but then having two adopted siblings, both from different countries in Asia, not even the same, I think is a really interesting dynamic. And not only that, but to have multiple adopted siblings, while doesn't always really mean that it's going to be great like a great relationship uh or anything growing up um i was wondering in your case did as you were growing up and you know dealing with erasure of identity um did you see similar things in your siblings journeys as well at that point not that they were like feeling or acting in the same way but did did you see any of that and did that also influence kind of what you were feeling and and acting at that time period yeah, I think I think I saw it a little bit more in my little sister. Um <clears throat> she she kind of went through um a similar phase that I did, but in the day and age of social media, she had access to like other people who were adopted. Um I don't think she ever really took advantage of that, but she had the accessibility of it and she had the accessibility of being able to like look things up. Um if she wanted to do a birth search, she could. And I think it, it took her a little bit less time to process all of that and she's still processing it today we we have conversations every now and again about it and stuff especially when it comes to like what it means to be asian and kind of like certain things that happens to uh to people of color because like my my sister my older sister and my parents don't necessarily understand it as much they don't really understand the whole like getting bullied just for being asian type thing um, yeah. they're, they're kind of blinded in that sense. So we, we do have those conversations every now and again. And my little sister also had a club foot, so she did get bullied for that as well, which, yeah. And then like me just being Asian, like we both got bullied. And I remember there was this one time she was in, I think it was either eighth grade or just in ninth grade in high school. She had texted me about this dude who was bullying her. Um, so we got to like actually have a conversation about that. I think that's one of the, um, one of the first times I actually had a really in-depth conversation with her about something like this. Um, and me being the older brother, I was like, I'm, t- I'm an hour and a half away from you. I will literally go rent a car right now and beat the living piss out of this dude. Um, <laughs> if he ever says anything like that again, like you just call me um, and I will come and like, I'll, I'll come and just help you out with that. Um, so I think like having that conversation built a lot of trust between us to have these types of conversations where I was like, um, the typical mom, um, like adopted mom, just being like, Oh no, no, we love you. Um, you, you're special. We chose you. You're so special to us when it's like in reality, like all you really want to hear is yeah, fuck that dude. Like don't, 
<laughs> don't listen to him or just like fight back. Like that's all you really need to hear, whether you do it or not. Um, so I was that little bit of an outlet for her, um, which brought us together a lot. Yeah. It's just that support system you need. Yeah, you may not act on You're probably not going to retaliate in most cases, especially physically. But just knowing that, man, my bro's got my back is big time. You know, that's something that, yeah, I, 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 I definitely get that. Um, so moving from moving out of out of your town and at 18 and going out into the world, um, still, I'm assuming, dealing with identity and the erasure or... or coming to terms with uh, your Asian identity, what was that? How did that start to to take off for you? So we know you work in food. So I didn't know. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about what that journey was like after leaving. Yeah. So, so I actually, so I, I spent a year up in Northeast Pennsylvania um, because I went to college up there for a year before I transferred to Philly. So um, that also was one of those very, very white towns. Um, there were a couple pockets of um, <clears throat> other people, but for the most part, it was a very white town. It was a very white college. I think Asians made up about, I think it was like 5% of the general population of the school. Um, so there, this, even then there weren't a lot of Asians. Um, so I never really understood, like, I never really got that like culture shock until I came to Philly. Like I'd see it going to New York and stuff. Like I'd see, um, I'd see a lot of different people of a lot of different ethnicities and heard a lot of different languages and stuff, but it never really like processed to me because I was so enamored by being in New York and having like going to the city to go ice skating with my family. Um, but when I, when I actually moved to Philly, <clears throat> like it was just one giant culture shock. Cause um, my first place that I lived in was uh, right in downtown Philadelphia. So there was a huge population of Asians there <clears throat> because of um, like a lot of the UPenn grad students live in that area. Um, so I saw a lot of Asians. I saw a lot of other people. Um, I saw a lot of people of color um, that I just wasn't necessarily used to um, back in my hometown. Um, and it was it was confusing because it's like, well, do who 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 do I go talk to? Like if I if I go to a bar, like do I do I talk to you or do I go to you? And usually I would gravitate towards the white people again. Um, and like. I would, I would even go as far as just being like, I refuse to date an Asian person because I don't want to be associated with that. Like, um, I don't, I forget the exact reason that I would tell people, but I was always just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to date an Asian person because, um, I, I don't want to associate myself with that. I don't feel Asian. So why would I want to date an Asian? Um, and then I think working in restaurants kind of like was the thing that started to open my eyes <clears throat> to it because, like I started, I started to want to be a chef because of the culture of food and what food does to people and how it brings people together. Um, so that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to get into food. Um, <clears throat> and then I started learning about like, cause I only knew like Americanized what food meant to them. So it was like, yeah, we eat as quickly as possible and then just go do our separate things. Um, but then I started working in restaurants where it's like no 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 we're gonna sit here for three hours and just hang out and eat food and chill um and that started to open my eyes <clears throat> into to asian cuisines um and i started really diving into that um and i guess i took like that that step where it's like i'm going from an americanized version to a korean american version because the first restaurant that i worked at that was um that wasn't <clears throat> a mediterranean or french or italian restaurant um was a Korean American fusion gastropub. 
And I think that a part of the reason why I decided to go that route was because it was so scary to just be like, all right, I'm going to go dive right into Korean food just because I wasn't like sure of anything. Like I didn't know the food. I like I've eaten it before, <clears throat> but I never really understood the food. I didn't understand the culture around it. Um, so I still took that baby step to get up to that level. So what was that? Talk about that first baby step. What was it like your first time working in a in that in that in that kitchen and starting to first learn about not just the food, but like really learning about the food and the culture behind it? It was very stressful. <laughs> um, essentially, because okay, okay, I hope I hope my former boss doesn't hear this. I lied <laughs> about my knowledge of Korean food. Um, I so I, I told them that I I had experience working in Korean restaurants and, I, and like cooking Korean food. I never had a single lick of experience. <laughs> Zero percent experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the, the the best part about the job is like I was applying for a kitchen manager position. So there was already an executive chef. I was literally just like the the day to day operations person. Um, so I went in for the interview. I did my thing because like working in the kitchen, it's super easy because everything's prepped out. All you really have to do is cook the food. Um, and it was just as simple as like following directions, which is easy. That's that's not that hard to do. But you don't really understand like the, the culture behind it. But that's that's another point. But um, so I go into the interview, which you call they call them stages um, in restaurants. Um, All right. And I do my interview. I kill it, obviously. Um, <laughs> and the the same night i get a call from the executive chef and he's like hey matt i just want to let you know that i'm putting my notice in um to leave the the restaurant um, <laughs> but i want you to expect like I'm, I'm going to i'm going to recommend you to be promoted from kitchen manager so we're going to hire you as a kitchen manager but in about a month and a half, you're going to be the executive chef. Yikes. <laughs> so, so I read this text message and I'm just like, oh boy. <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't working at the time. Um, I had just left my other job, but I didn't tell them that. So I told them, I was like, all right, I'm going to put my two weeks notice in um, and then I can start working. But yeah, I'll take the position. And for those next two weeks, I didn't do a single, like I didn't do anything work related because I wasn't working. I literally just sat on Google for two weeks and just Google searched Korean food and learned as much <laughs> as I possibly could in the wow. short amount of time that I could. And then the first day I go there, I'm just trying to act all confident. Just like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, kimchi, yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Yeah, I know a recipe. It's it's not from Google, but I know a recipe. <laughs> That from Mungchi.com. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> Yo, but dude, the funniest thing about that though is he, the my my boss bought me that Mungchi book. Oh, and he's really like, nice. you can you can use this to base your uh, recipes on. And I'm like, okay, this is good. I didn't look at the entire website um, prior to this job. He's like, bro, you think I'm not subscribed already? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, I it, that job, like, I was I was there for a year, um, and I essentially like faked it till I made it type of thing um and like what one of the first um one of the first dishes i created for that menu because like <clears throat> the, my boss was pretty much like hey like we like this menu and stuff um but we want you to change it up there are four dishes out of 16 dishes that we want to keep um but you can change whatever you want <clears throat> um and so the first dish that i ever created that i put on that menu 
was a my version of like a mandu. So I made <clears throat> pan seared mandu um, with a duenjang aioli on the bottom, and I it was like a strawberry um, agrodolce on top. So it was like you get a vinegariness, but a sweetness with the syrup. Um, and then like the fermentiness from the duenjang on the bottom and stuff. <clears throat> but what I actually did was I, I, I didn't make mandu. I made gyoza. <laughs> and he was like, oh, like this recipe is like really good. It's delicious. Like this mandu is like <clears throat> a little bit different. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just I tweaked the recipe a little bit. <laughs> but I, I, I essentially just made gyoza and I'm just like, fuck. I read the wrong recipe because <laughs> I didn't put I didn't put the chapche noodles in. I didn't put any tofu in it. Oh, it was man. like straight up just pork scallions and <laughs> sesame oil. <laughs> but he was like, "Yo, this is so good." And we had some like we had some um, like Instagram food influencers come in. They're like, "Oh, this is like some of the best mando I've ever had." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, this, is <laughs> this is totally true." Like, don't worry. Yeah, that's I'm good. Just casually trying to not lose your job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so really quickly, just what is mandu like as it's supposed to be, not its gyoza yeah, form? Compared to oh, gyoza. Oh, good question. Good question. For, for yeah. our users, because I, I for our I, users, I only know I, it, yeah. for our listeners. <laughs> no, for users. Yes, I only know it as like pork mandu, but I don't actually know what that means. I just. I'm sure I read it one time and that just stuck in my head. Yeah. So like mandu is like Korean dumplings, essentially. Um, it's a little bit different because each, like each region, like or each country that has some form of form of dumpling puts a little bit different spin on it. So in Korea, uh, like for the Korean mandu, usually there's like ground pork, um, chopped chain noodles, all cut up, uh, scallions, tofu, and some seasonings and stuff. Sometimes they put, um, you put mushrooms in there so it's essentially like a regular like gyoza or dumpling that you would get from a chinese restaurant but with chop chain noodles and tofu in it um and then it's either boiled or pan fried or uh boiled or deep fried as opposed to pan fried um, oh okay so, so the dumpling part's still the same it's yeah. just the, the ingredients on the inside okay. yeah 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 hearing you talk Dude, about it i would never have guessed that you did not know anything about it when you first went into your first well, he was time. reading that off of google just right <laughs> oh, there oh right 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 <laughs> yeah blame google <laughs> blame the tech industry's white developers it's not matt's fault yeah exactly yeah i mean and you got the job because you looked the part too so you gotta, <laughs> gotta gotta give props to that yeah <laughs> Well, that was one of the things I was going to say I loved about that story is that I'm looking at it from this adoptee lens of like you get you're going to like cook in a Korean restaurant and they're like, hey, we want you to be you're going to be the chef now. And you got to like and you're like, I don't know anything about this, but I want this job. So I'm just going to say that I do. And I feel like as an adoptee, that really makes sense to me, because sometimes when you're trying to like make your way into the Asian American community, you kind of have to fake it a little bit sometimes. And I don't know if anybody would really care that I said that um, or care for me saying that because I do think it's really important to understand the culture and everything that goes with it uh, when you start to engage. But I think that for a lot of adoptees, it's really like, how do I, what's a way to approach? And I just, I love that story where you're just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And you and the, did it. The thing about the thing about that though is like like I always associated that with like as a restaurant thing because a lot a lot of the times um people will like upgrade their resume um per se and, and and say like they've done this. Like um <laughs> my the for the first the the first restaurant that I ever worked in, 
uh, was back in my hometown <clears throat> and i i was like 16 or sorry i was yeah 16 or 17 years old i forget but i go in there and i go talk to the chef and i'm like hey I'm in college. I'm not in high school, but I need a summer internship for college credits. Can I get a job here? And I didn't have any paperwork or anything. He's like, yeah, yeah, you can work here. Um, <laughs> he, like nice. it, was, it was, so it was a summer internship that I was supposed to work the entire summer at. So like the three months that I was out for, um, from high school, I worked there. Um, they didn't ask for any paperwork. Um, I didn't sign any underage forms because they thought they just assumed that I was overage. Um, over 18. Um, so that was very illegal. And then a month into me actually working there, I, I cut my finger off on oh. a warped cutting board. So I got yikes. Um, yeah. So I was out of work from them for a month. Um, got unemployment or um, I got uh, what is it, workers compensation yeah. for like a month and a half. Um, and I was getting paid more than I actually was working there. And like, so I was thriving like this high school student, <laughs> like 17 year old high school student. Um, making like like $1,200 every two weeks. And I'm just like, oh shit, okay, cool. I'm not even doing anything. I'm making this money. Like, I don't even care. Like, just give it to me. So then when I was able to work, um, like to go back to work, because the doctor's like, yeah, you need to take a month and a half off because you uh, you hit some nerves. Um, and you're like, if you want mobility back in your finger, you're not going to be able to like move it that much. Um, you just need to let it rest. And I was like, okay. So after the month and a half, and my doctor gave me the okay to go back, um, I went back to the restaurant. I was like, "Hey, I have to go back to school," so I quit. <laughs> so <laughs> I just stopped doing that. Um, but yeah, that was my first job at a restaurant. Um, but it was also and that's been every day. job since. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, this episode's turning into confessions of Matt. This is how Matt hustles. I love yeah. it. Yeah, the hustle of Matt. I love it. Yeah. It was amazing. And that's how I got my first bartending job. So it was assumed. Like I, I told my, I told this bar that I was like, "Yeah, I, I worked at a bar for two years." Um, it was just some college bar, but I, I was I was drinking there for two years. I wasn't working there. Um, it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. It's okay. But I got a job at a bar too as a bartender. But the reason the guy hired me is because I had a degree in computer information systems. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And he, and he wanted to ask me questions about developing a website. There you so go. He, oh, he, he used me as a resource to ask questions while I was. His so he bartender. paid you money to teach him about stuff while you worked for him. Exactly. Like so he paid me bartender wages, but he got my computer knowledge in the back for free. So it's yeah, than going to college. Sense. Yeah. So I didn't mind. Gotta I get that money. Uh, <laughs> well, I really respect the hustle. I love it. Um, I think that, and I think it obviously reflects in what you've been able to do with that work. Um, on your clubhouse profile, you have that you've been featured and and won a few th uh, different things, um, which I think is really cool. Um, how did that how did you go from hey i hey i'm just let me work here to hey i am the chef that people come to for different things how did you go from there to there yeah um so like 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 i said like i've wanted to be a chef since i was nine so like i knew exactly what i wanted to do so i think like to a certain degree i almost got an upper hand um <clears throat> on things like when i went to culinary school i was already three years senior of working in a restaurant so I had the experience, I had the knowledge that most of the people that were in the school didn't. Um, and I used that to my advantage because I ended up dropping out after six months um, and just started to work. So I didn't even have to deal with going to culinary school. Um, I just, I had the experience already, so I started working. Um, and then I'd like from, from 19 to 26, when I became one of the youngest chefs in, uh, like one of the youngest executive chefs in Philadelphia, um, like I busted my ass just like going to, 
<clears throat> working in as many restaurants as I could and going to as many kitchens as possible. Like I'd get in touch with um, some of the more known chefs in Philly or New York and just be like, Hey, like I have a free day today. Like I'm off of work. Can I come stage in your kitchen? You don't have to pay me. Just give me some food at the end of the night. And like chefs love that. Like chefs love to see people just come in and work for free. And all you have to do is give them a, like a dinner. Um, <clears throat> so I would do that on my days off. I've worked with some of the, like the best chefs in Philly, just like just staging there for a day and job offers came from that too. Um, because they saw like my work ethic, they saw how much I pushed myself, like how much pressure I put on myself to be as good as like I could possibly be. Cause like I'm very much 100% a perfectionist. Like it shows like when it comes to work, I, it, everything has to be perfect. But if you come to my apartment, it's a fucking train wreck. <laughs> so <laughs> like me being the perfectionist that I am, I'm just like, I had to bust my ass and like it, it got me places. Like I have good relationships with chefs like Michelin star chefs in New York. Um, they don't do Michelin stars in Philly, but some of the top chefs in Philly, like I have good relationships with them um, and they can help me out. And then just using that experience to kind of like move forward and figure out what the next step is for me. So while you were on that, I think that's fascinating. I think the hustle that it takes, I've worked in the industry a few different times, uh, most recently in Chicago. Wait, did you really? Yeah. I think that, uh, do we know this, Nathan? Is this new information? I don't remember you working at a restaurant. <laughs> what? Don't worry about it. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, well, bartending. Um, so I'm sure Sarah will listen to this and she'll be like, so what did Patrick do? Oh yeah. Me? They keep trying know. to figure out what I do for a job currently. And I <laughs> literally don't know anything about it. Um, but I think that's, I really respect the hustle that it takes to be able to do something like that. And, you know, to go and do the things that you've done, it really, I mean, it really speaks to the things that you, the work that you put in to get to these points during this period of hustle what was your experience like engaging with the community outside of the industry were you own were you meeting most of your friends and the people your acquaintances there and then was that your first step into the asian american community or the adoptee community or did that come later so that actually kind of came later because like during this whole hustle period um i didn't really have that many friends like i i knew people um i would hang out with people but they were usually co-workers um so my coworkers were usually the people that I hung out with and I would, the ones that I would consider my friends. But as soon as I left the restaurant, and as soon as they left the restaurant, like we'd keep in touch for a couple months after that, but then it would kind of just drop off. Cause like, I would never see them because working in the industry sucks. <clears throat> you don't have any free time. And when you do, you're pretty much just drunk. So you forget everything. Also true. <laughs> so it was like a very, very happy coincidence that, um, the job where I pretended I knew Korean food, um, was also the restaurant where the Philadelphia Korean American adoptee community goes for dinner once a month. And the owner was like, Hey, like we have all these adoptees that come for dinner once a month and we, we curate a special menu for them. Um, the next time they come, we want to introduce you. And so I, like I, I formed a couple friendships and relationships um, through that adoptee community. Um, one of them actually being Kevin Creter or Crater um, oh, from wow. Bling Empire. Um, I cooked for him and hung out with him a couple times. Uh, before he moved out to LA. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. Like that was my first experience um, outside of my family, um, where I actually got to hang out with Asians and Asian adoptees. And that, that kind of just like spurred this whole, like, I guess, movement in my head where I was just like, I want to learn a lot more about myself. I want to learn a lot more about Korea. That's when I, I, I filed for like to get my adoption papers from Holt um, and then get the adoption papers from Holt Korea. So yeah, it, it was just, it was very much just a happy coincidence. Like I didn't even, I didn't even know there was like a Korean adoptee association 
at all, um, let alone one in Philly and one that actually eats at the restaurant that I'm working <laughs> at. Um, so yeah, this it just really blossomed into um, this whole like thing where I was just like, I want to learn a lot more about who I am as a person and where I came from. And what have you then in those three years? What have you been diving into in the in the community since then? So initially, when I first realized that like I wanted to learn a lot more about me, I I I sent in my paperwork um, to get my like file, <clears throat> looked at my file, realized that the story that I had thought initially what like about my adoption was not true. Um, it was more like so I thought that I was abandoned at a train station. And then someone found me and brought me to an orphanage. Um, when in reality, it was my mom was 15 years old when she had me. She had me at a hospital and she like Holt was already in, in contact with her. Um, and pretty much as soon as I was born, um, I was brought to the orphanage. So that was just like a huge like brick wall just slamming right into me just because like I was 26 years old thinking like this entire story. And then all of a sudden it's something completely different. And that intrigued me a little bit more because I was like, I like I initially thought that I would never be able to to find um, my parents, um, but now this gave me like a little like light at the end of the tunnel where it's like it's a possibility. It's just like how long is that tunnel? So I went through a whole process of like figuring out exactly what I want to do. As soon as I got my paperwork and as soon as I found out that my mom was like they they had inform at least a little bit of information about my mom, I requested paperwork to do a formal birth search um and kept that in a drawer for two years but in the process of that i got a super close to the adopted community in philadelphia made some really really good friends there i've worked at korean adoptee camps um teaching them how to cook korean food when i actually finally realized or learned how to make <laughs> korean food um <clears throat> so i did that thank um, you I, google <laughs> <laughs> yeah and mangchi and my yeah. <laughs> and and then i um then i started branching out like from the adopted community and started just like building my confidence into like actually making friends that are actually korean well not actually korean but like korean um and like spoke the language and knew what it means to be Korean, like growing up with Korean parents and stuff, growing in a Korean household. Um, so I like, <clears throat> uh, like I, I, I hate to admit this, but I used to be a person that wore shoes in my house um, until I got verbally assaulted by my friend for stepping one inch inside of her apartment <laughs> for wearing my shoes. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? Take your shoes off. And like that whole process of like explaining why it was like, this makes a lot of sense. My parents are disgusting. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Um, but yeah, so like I started learning about that. Like I would eat a lot of Korean food. I went on um like a whole like regional Korean food restaurant tour, I guess. Um, which is how I was able to get in contact with Chris Cho and meet him. Um, so he was a a very big mentor when it came to like learning how to cook Korean food. Um, I traveled up to New York. Um, went to a Koreatown as often as possible um and yeah then then um I, t I taught at this one camp and got to meet all these Korean adoptees who are kind of like learning about themselves and the culture through the camp and that kind of just sparked this thing in me and was like the paperwork that I have um to go do this birth search I think I'm ready to send it in um so I sent it in in 2019 I sent it in 
And they were like, it takes about two to three weeks to process that, um, to do a whole formal search. Um, but we'll let you know. So I was like, all right, I can forget about this and kind of just let it, let it do its thing. Um, and I'll hear back eventually. Um, I heard back a week later <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we found your mom. Damn, here's a, here's a little wow. bit of information about her. We like, obviously they can't give names or like addresses or anything like that. Um, and they're like, yeah, right, uh, why don't you write a letter that you want to send to her? Just make sure there's no identifying information. And then send that to us. Send a couple pictures of you um, growing up and you currently in a couple pictures of your family and we'll send them over to her. And they're like, it just like, there's no, they, they, they told me um, when I sent it in, they're like, there's no real determining factor on when um, we're going to hear back if we ever do hear back because it's all dependent on my birth mom. And um what she wants to do. And I was like, okay, that's good. I have a lot of time to process. And then 24 hours later, they're like, your mom called. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Well, fuck. Okay. Um, wow. I'm like, I'm at work and I'm just like, I get this email from them and they're like, yeah, your mom, your mom called us and like asking a little bit more information about like me. And it's like, su she was super like wary about getting in touch with the, the orphanage because she got married um, and she has a 15 year old son. Uh, so my half brother. So she was super wary about that, about even calling to begin with. Um, she actually hung up on them um, initially, but then she saw the pictures of me and she's like, that looks exactly like my brother who passed away a couple of years ago from a car accident. Damn. Um, and she's like, I have to, I have to like call back and get more information. Um, and so she talked to the person at the orphanage and she's like, yeah, I'm going to write a letter um, and I'll send it to you. And then it gets translated and sent to me. Um, so I got a letter from her. Um, I think it was about, I think it was about a month later. I got my first letter from her, which like I, I was not prepared for at all. Like none of me was ready for that. Like I was reading that at work. That's another thing about the restaurant industry. You just like, you never have like time to yourself. So I was reading it at work and I'm just like standing behind the line, like cooking these people's food and reading it on my phone. I'm just like cooking these people's food, like crying into their bibimbap and stuff. It's like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I can't, I can't resist. I have to read it. After that, like I wrote another letter back from her, not expecting to hear from her for a little bit, just because the process takes a little while. Um, and I get a letter Christmas Eve of 2019 from her with a picture of her. Um, she says that she doesn't like to get her picture taken, but she sent me her work ID picture. Um, so that was the first picture that I got of her. And like, it's, it's, it's a little scary how much I look like her, but I showed my little sister. My little sister was the first person that I showed uh, the picture to. Um, and she's like, is that a Snapchat filter? Cause she thought it was a picture of me wow. where it's like you, you change it to make myself look like a, <laughs> like a girl. And I was like, no, that's my birth mom. And she's like, oh, shit, that looks exactly like you. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's my birth mom. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that we would look alike. And she's like, no, yeah, like that's like a spitting image of you. So I wrote another letter back, sent some more pictures um, and haven't heard from her since. Um, so like I'm, I'm debating on writing another letter because of the whole COVID thing, just to make sure that she's all right. But I like the initial letter that I wrote back, it was like, I think my confidence was a little too high because like I kind of pushed for her to give me her cacao information or find me on Facebook or something. Um, and I think that might have I think that might have made her a little scared. Um, so I haven't heard back from her yet, so I might end up writing her another letter soon. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Wild.
Thank you for sharing that story, man. Yeah. That was seriously. That was a ride. That was enthralling. Yeah. Hilarious and gripping and all of it. Yeah. I had to. Man, I'm just all over the place today, and that story really got me kind of emotional a little bit, just because thinking about receiving that even one picture and then seeing yourself reflected back like i know nathan you've received pictures and that's what you said about like when you saw your brother like you're Mm -hmm. like okay i think we're related because we look the same and just to i couldn't imagine like the emotions and like you said you know you're in the kitchen like when you first get your first letter and you're reading this and you're like processing all of this and I was wondering after that very first one that you got when you're in the kitchen, when you finally got a chance to go home and sit with that for a little bit, what do you remember just what that initial like reaction was when you finally got a moment to yourself? There were so many different emotions going through my head at that point. Like, I don't think there was one that really stuck out because like, I remember that like the, the, the second I got that notification, I saw that it was from the person, like my contact info or person um, at Holt. Like I knew it was something that was related to my birth mom. So like my heart was pounding um, and I had no idea, but I was like so excited about um, like about getting that email. I was like, I, I can't like not look at it right now. Like, um, so I, so I opened it and there's like, then I was like um, reading that and stuff. Like, I think the thing that got me the most emotional or like kind of like, charged the the whole mixed emotions about everything was the fact that she was like is it okay if i call you my son and i'm like uh how do i respond to that because it's like because like i i i started thinking about it i was like if i say yes to to this person calling me her son how are my my adopted parents going to think if i tell them that um how am I going to think about like, just being like, like, who am I going to lean towards more? Um, so it was just like, it was, <clears throat> it was, it was hard to process. I don't think I really process it for a couple of days. Um, and so like, even looking back at it, like, I'm still like, I'm still like partially confused as to where my emotions are and what I want to do. Um, because I know that none of this really defines me. Um, I, I, I've, I've turned into the person that I am because of how I've lived. Um, this is just like another picture to the, to the story. So it, this isn't like the defining thing for me. Um, and I think that that really helped me kind of process what was going on. Um, and understanding that I'm, I'm still me, no matter what, it's just like, all right, there's a, just like another piece to this puzzle. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the most amazing things about or most interesting and amazing things about your story is just how how it's played out and how you've how you came from your hometown and then started working in the kitchens and then met adoptees, met some other adoptees, then started working at the camps and then started to feel confident enough to go out into the actual Korean American community or the Asian American community and befriend people in in that community and that's one of the things that i uh, admire most about you is how is your comfortability within the aapi spaces like specifically on clubhouse so that's where i know you from and see you interacting a lot but even just in that ha- like hearing you talk and talk about the people that you know and have met and the communities you've interacted in you you've engaged in a way that for me specifically as an adoptee i did not even realize you could find a comfort in that so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about 
you know, that comfortability and that sense of comfortability being an adoptee, but then like not only working your way into the, the Korean American community, but finding like lasting friendship and, and actual and actual relationships within the community. Yeah. So I, I think I think for me, um, I build my confidence um, off of a false sense of confidence to begin with, like because I'm like I'm nervous as shit a lot when I talk in, in Asian rooms, um, on clubhouse. Um, I remember the first time that I talked in front of, um, a larger audience, like my voice was shaking. Cause I was like, there's so many Asians in this room. There are like 500 <laughs> Asians here. Yeah. Um, but like, like the, the, the false sense of security where it's like, I, like I'm, I, I can convince myself that I should be comfortable in this space. Um, eventually it turns into actual confidence. Um, and then I kind of just take it, take it in stride and just go from there. So I give myself a false sense of security. Um, and then eventually it just becomes security. So I guess I Napoleon complex myself. I mean, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with somebody else where uh, kind of talking about the same things. I was like, sometimes you get to start. We were for us. It was like switching from uh, like for two dudes who grew up using self-deprecating humor to then be like, how do I love myself? And how do I still make this these kinds of jokes, but actually show that I am incredibly confident in who I am, you know, and, and just the power of language. And I was, I was telling him, I was like, you know, I think what it takes is you actually need to speak first. Uh, and that like literally helps your brain, it retrains your brain to like think differently or to act differently. And then eventually like your heart and your, your inner self uh, catch up to what you're speaking. But you just kind of like, whether whether you use the term uh, projecting or whiteboarding or uh, manifesting or you know whatever the term is, I think that there is real validity to saying something and then following through and like like there is kind of a, a validity to faking it till you make it because like I think for us um, part of the part of the fear that I from from my own perspective and, and kind of anecdotally is like we just don't have language we don't know how to talk to uh other asian americans we are not comfortable maybe sharing our own stories as adoptees like it's not a thing that we do a whole lot you know whatever and so like when you're it's like i don't know if i was to speak in spanish to y'all or speak the very little bit of korean that i know or you know whatever i would feel really nervous not because i think that i'm unintelligent or anything i'm just not familiar with the language and but i want to express myself well you know so I, yeah i think just being able to to say that and just go for it. And then like, if you can keep, especially if you can keep the comment exterior, you know, you can freak out however much you want on the inside, but if you can keep that calm exterior and then just do it and do it and do it, then like just by experience, you get more calm and more comfortable. And then I think that your identity does begin to shift because you have said lots of things, lots of truths about yourself or truths that you want to be true about yourself, you know, just kind of over and over and over again. And then it just sits in your brain until it becomes reality or until you're like, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. And a couple of glasses of whiskey help too. <laughs> yeah. Very true. I mean, whatever it takes to get you there. <laughs> yeah. And you obviously have made it. So <laughs> even though you, you know, may have faked it a little at the beginning and getting into the, the fusion restaurant, I mean, you would have, if you didn't have the skills to have done what you did, you would have been out of there in a few weeks. And, and so obviously um, your confidence uh, is not uh, uh, something to disregard and not uh, your skills were, were definitely there. I also love the fact that it was a fusion restaurant in a way kind of symbolizing how we are all kind of a fusion of Korean and American 
um, you know, embodiment embodiments, you know, we are kind of both and the fusion of that kind of has introduced you more into the Korean culture, um, which is, I think, really cool because you slowly went into it. You didn't just jump into a strict Korean restaurant, you know, making, you know, banchan and things like that. <laughs> you know, it's, it was, I think that is really neat and it's really uh, correlated well with uh, how things have been going. So, um, <clears throat> so it brings us to now. Um, I know that the restaurant industry has been highly affected by the pandemic. Um, I don't know your current situation, but I do know that you've been doing a lot on Clubhouse, and I know that you're also active on the um, Subtle Asian Adoptee Traits Facebook Zooms, um, which is where I had first heard about you from another adoptee and then randomly saw you in the room, in a Clubhouse room. So... I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you got to that group and into hosting the Zooms and then talk a little bit about as well um, your experience on Clubhouse and some of the stuff you've been doing there, uh, not only for the community, but just for people in general. Yeah. Um, so so I, I started joining a couple of Facebook uh, groups for Korean adoptees. Um, so I joined the Philly chapter initially, and then I kind of branched out to KAA and KA. Um, <clears throat> and then someone on KA was talking about subtle Asian adoptee traits, or I, I think it was either that or it came up as a suggestion for me to join. So I joined the group. And th at that point, there were like, I think maybe like 2000 people in the group already. Then the pandemic hit. I was just trying to find a way to like get to know new people. So someone else had started doing like a couple of Zoom calls, like maybe two weeks prior on Fridays, but Fridays were always busy for me. So I decided to do Wednesdays, um, Wednesday calls. So I would host Wednesday calls and then this other person would host Friday calls. Um, and we go back and forth so we could kind of just like coordinate all this stuff. So starting last April, we decided to do this weekly Zoom call thing where we would host Zoom calls every Wednesday and Friday. <clears throat> and it's it started off with like 12 people and then like in the, the heart of the pandemic, it blew up to like 70 to 80 people coming into Zoom calls from around the world. Like <clears throat> I, I've met adoptees from Australia. I, I know adoptees from Europe. Um, I know adoptees who moved back to Korea and live in Korea now. And it, it, we, we kind of built a community where we could have these friendships and build them um, almost similar to Clubhouse, but you could see people. So we would get to talk to people. It was, it was, <clears throat> we would talk about adoption stuff, but we would also um, just have general like conversations, just like shooting the shit. Um, we started having discord groups where we play video games together and it, it turned out to be this like really awesome community um, of adoptees. And it, it kind of just grew from there um, to a point where we'd have to like almost quote unquote, hire people to help host the rooms so now there's a team of um there's a team of six adoptees that host these zoom calls <clears throat> and we host them every, we still host them every wednesday and friday and there's just like this whole rotation schedule we do zoom calls to figure out um at the beginning of the month who's going to be hosting which zoom calls and it, it was really cool to see um i have since backed out of it um because of uh a lot of the stuff that i do on clubhouse um kind of took over that but it's in very good hands, so I, I I can appreciate just like sitting back and relaxing from that and not have to do both. <clears throat> but having that confidence of like hosting these Zoom calls and stuff um, kind of made me confident 
when it came to clubhouse and just being super open and being super just genuine and being myself and i guess it worked in my favor like the the coffee shop that i run it's almost like a second rebirth of like building a community it's just not just adoptees anymore it's pretty much anyone who walks into that room can become a part of this community and then branching from there i just started opening up other rooms going into other rooms having the confidence to just be like hey you guys are asian so am i what's up like let's let's get to know each other and stuff um and yeah like it's it's built me the confidence to to talk to other asians that aren't adopted it's it's built the confidence to to feel more asian than i have um ever um and be able to like go as far as calling someone out um for for shit that they've done on the app that isn't really cool to the asian community um because like when 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 I did that and I called someone out for something that happened on Clubhouse, one of the first things I did after that like whole debacle, I like, kind of settled down. Like I texted one of my friends and I was like, "Yo, like, did I have like the the power to do that? Like, was I? Is that okay? Like, like because you, you see all these organizations and like they're like there were people in there that like that are very very vocal, like have really very very powerful and big voices um, within the API community." Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm a Korean adoptee. Like, is this, is, is this all right? Like, am I allowed to say this? Um, and it, it took a little while to kind of just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah like you're, you're adopted, like you're adopted, but you're, you're still Korean. Um, and even to this day, like, like I had a, I was in a room yesterday where, um, it was, it was titled like, um, it was Korean men, um, talking about, uh, their feelings, um, because that's not really a thing that happens for Korean men. Um. And it was like a super safe space, although there were 300 people in there. Um, and so I went on stage and kind of told my story like I am right now, um, a little bit shorter than what I'm doing right now. But I told I told my story and like I, I'm sitting there telling my story in bed and I'm just like bawling my eyes out, like crying in front of all these people. And the responses that I got from the moderators and people I got like like 10 people DM'd me on Instagram um, <clears throat> and telling me like, yeah, yeah. Like, like appreciate you telling your story. Like appreciate like you're Korean, man. Like you're one of us, like your family. Like one of the first like things that really stuck out in my head was this one person on clubhouse. The literally the second that I met him and he saw that I was Korean, he's, he DM'd me on Instagram. He's like, yo, here's my personal number. If you need anything, let me know you're Korean, your family. And I was like, okay, like, this this is this could be something really good for me, um, and that's why I think that I've succeeded in the things that I do on Clubhouse as much as I have because I have that support system behind me. Man, you have been succeeding too. Like mm -hmm. seriously, man you you talked about it a little bit. You talked about building community, and that was literally the thing I was thinking of while you were speaking about this because you're, in my opinion, a community builder. And I think you talked about being an extrovert at the beginning. I think that combined with your really unique story and the stuff that you've done, just done, the hustle part of it too, all plays a factor in this ability that you have to not only speak truly from the heart and be, speak compassionately, but be able to actually speak on experience. And it brings people in. It makes people want to engage. I will say that the first time I went on stage in Clubhouse was in an AAPI space, and it was because you were talking about your story, and you said that you were an adoptee. And I think there was maybe ended up being like three other adoptees that came on the stage that day. But that was the very first time 
that I had made outside of this show that I had like felt like I was publicly speaking about this story specifically in a way that I was able to tell it to other Asian Americans and not feel not feel less than because I got great responses. Like you just said, like, you know, people like messaged me and said, Hey, you're, you know, it's all good. Your family, you are Asian. Um, but that's just, but again, like that's what led to starting our own stuff and starting, you know, adoptee specific spaces. A lot of that is thanks to you just giving not only me, but others the confidence to do it in the adoptee space, but also to see an adoptee that is, not a Kevin Kreider. That's not somebody. Not, but not somebody that's no shade, been like. No shade to Kevin. Yeah, no shade to Kevin. <laughs> personal friend. Kevin but Kevin. someone that's not made it in like a hugely successful way. Their name's known everywhere by a bunch of people um, as an adoptee. I think that. I think when people see that adoptee specifically, they can. And for me, at least, it feels very detached from reality. There's a lot of uh, suspension of belief, and I feel like that's not. That's not the way that you're going to find your way into the community. However, your story, I think, is one of the ways. And I think that's why it's so important for other people to hear, especially the listeners of our show, is to, sh- to show the different beats that you go through to get to go from erasing yourself to being accepted, <clears throat> accepted by other Asian Americans um, that are not adoptees. I think that's an I think from there to there is an incredible journey. And I think yours not necessarily a model, but it's really something that's can, that's very inspirational, I think, for me and I think probably any a lot of other adoptees that are able to listen to this. So I really appreciate you, you know, sharing and being so open and sharing about your mom um, and that experience. You know, that's I, I feel really honored that you that you were able to or that you were willing to share that with us. I appreciate that. It means a lot. It means a lot. I think it was so unique, and it is like not to put you on a pedestal or or anything but i think you kind of uniquely provide a path forward not the path forward but a path forward in that um yeah just like patrick said going from erasing your identity uh, i think a lot of the stories that i've heard anecdotally again are just like you know i i didn't want anything to do with being asian or being korean or being a person of color i didn't want to deal with that and then like as i've grown older i've realized like the, the world sees me as this so i might as well figure out how to navigate my way through it but so going from kind of that rejection of your uh biological identity i guess um and kind of socio-biological identity um and then moving through like what's unique about your story is you found uh first or rather they found you this korean adoptee group you know and i think you uh were able to spend time sharing your story you had those safe spaces and and patrick i'm grateful for you uh and i i have seen it i've seen your community and the communities that you are working towards grow of a lot of adoptees who are coming into that space uh transracial adoptees asian adoptees who are saying like um, this is the first time I've, I've shared my story or the first time that I've been able to do these things, right? Like you find your footing, you, you are able to express yourself. And then Matt, again, you coming in, um, I've been a part of a number of your clubhouse rooms where it's just like, you know how clubhouse is, let's be the opposite of that. Let's just be fun and chill and just hang out and just whatever, which is like such a breath of freaking fresh air. Um, but, uh, and, and, and you make it so easy, like you're, confidence makes it really easy for other people to talk but i think what's also impressive is your courage uh and, and specifically your courage to uh to go into a place like korean american or korean men speaking about their feelings you know and and do something where you put your heart on your sleeve um 
and whether that feels courageous to you, I think it, uh, for my, my sense of adoptees is like, we are, uh, more timid or more um, reluctant maybe to just put it all out there because for whatever reason, you know, but for you to do that and then to receive all of this love back. And and obviously that's not going to happen every time. I have no idea what the percentage of it is, you know, in terms of how many times it's going to happen. But um, I think for so long, I was my worst enemy in terms of being able to go into spaces and speak confidently or being able to go into spaces and, and speak courageously and be vulnerable because like I didn't, I was so afraid of the backlash of like, well, you're not Asian American anyway. So shut up. Like I was so afraid of that, that I never opened myself up to the possibility of hearing like, dude, you're one of us and we want you here. And we, you know, like if you need something, like we got your back, like your family, you know, but, and so there, like your pathway, um, which is good for you and might be good for others, I think is, is such a good, um, uh, I mean, it is the light at the end of the tunnel. It is the, the glimmer of hope, whatever you want to call it, of just like there is, uh, it is worth it to risk putting your heart out there. It is worth it to risk being in these spaces and being courageous, faking until you're making it, you know, whatever. Um, and then, and you find real deep, good community and maybe find some healing or find some closure in your identities yourself. Sure, you don't want to put me on a pedestal. I was, I was gonna say, I got him <laughs> lifted up on the pedestal for sure. <laughs> I'm not as eloquent as the other two. I'm just gonna say thanks for coming on the show. I mean, I think we could be here for hours talking about all the the, the stuff uh, out there and all different issues and things that are happening on Clubhouse and stuff. Uh, but I think it's been. Uh, uh, I, I don't think this will be the last time we talk to you uh, on our show. Yeah, I got to ask so. you about your uh, best or the thing you won for at the burger showdown or your feature there. Because I like burgers. <laughs> so, so. So the, the, <laughs> I guess I'm like chock full of uh, funny stories because this, this is a pretty funny story too. So I got hired uh, to help open this restaurant as the executive sous chef. So I was, I was second in command. And one of my responsibilities before we actually opened the restaurant was to help the chef create the menu. So we kind of divvied it up. Like he had a very good idea of how he wanted to like situate his menu um, with certain dishes. I would just be the one who kind of executed it and created the the recipes and stuff. And so we created this burger. It was a double smash burger with caramelized onions, uh, Cooper sharp cheddar, lettuce, and uh, like a, a special sauce. So when I was making that, the, the restaurant was... Uh, formerly a an asian fusion restaurant so there was like still some product left over um and i happened to find some rice wine some gochujang and so i made it like a standard special sauce with pickles mayonnaise ketchup and then i added the rice rice vinegar some gochujang and a couple other things that i can't tell you um or else i'll kill you um <laughs> you know it's worth it we'll just bleep it out we'll just bleep yeah. it out <laughs> there were a couple other things there. there was like we put like we put some um and a couple like little spices here and there and we put that on I'm our gonna burger about one of those ingredients <laughs> <Just> <laughs> so we created that burger and one of the one of the food critics for philadelphia publication came in and ate the burger and like he's a huge burger fan <clears throat> um and he was like the, the confidence of making this burger and not putting tomatoes on there is uh pretty big but it was one of the best burgers he had and it ultimately ended up like this was like towards the beginning of the year towards the end of the year um it ended up winning the best burger in philly however i was not employed there 
when they won the best burger i'm just taking credit for it oh um, okay. <clears throat> so basically what happened was we created this burger that has not changed it was it stayed on the menu but the the executive chef that was working there got into a really big fight with the owner um, about the direction of where the restaurant was going so he ended up putting his notice in and then got into another big fight and ended up just quitting and walking out um <clears throat> so they they had me in charge for a little bit and then one day like a week and a half afterwards the owner comes up to me and he goes hey matt we are going to get rid of all the back of the house management team because we want to start fresh so we're gonna let you go and i was like okay that's fine because i was gonna quit anyway because i have another <laughs> job lined up <clears throat> i just wanted to give you a little bit of time so like I, I told the next job that i was going to work at that i would start working in a month but it ended up being a week later uh, because of this certain instance so <clears throat> i i pretty much just got let go because he didn't want the remnants of the old chef still within the restaurant and he wanted to start completely fresh and then I saw the all the best of Philadelphia awards come out and I saw that burger and I was like, that's my fucking burger. I'm taking credit <laughs> for this shit. So I'm taking I'm taking full like credit it. for that. I like that I have the context now for that specific line <laughs> item in your uh, in your bio. I yeah. like that. <laughs> like I've told other people and they're like like I like I was I was a little wary about it because the person who wrote about it, the food critic um in Philly, he's actually on Clubhouse and I was like, should I take this down? But I was like, no, like I, I made this. Like, no, he can go. Kiss leave my it ass. Up. I think you should <laughs> yeah, leave it so up. So I've, I've left it up as long as it's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like you're lying about the burger. No, it's your burger. We we sold more burgers than anything else in that restaurant. <laughs> I want to try it. Yeah, so I, know, I don't yeah, think I've ever actually put gochujang on a burger before. <clears throat> so actually, that's uh, I've never. I haven't had the opportunity, but yeah. I totally would. That sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds really good. Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people? find you to ask you about other clubhouse line items in your profile or uh, where, <laughs> didn't where, where, where can people item. where can people uh <laughs> where, where can, can people, people find you on burgers? the internet <laughs> uh, so as of right now i'm currently unemployed um i'm in the process of trying to figure out what my next step is um be it within the realm of the restaurant industry or back in kitchens or a completely different project and just like keeping food as a passion of mine like a passion project as of right now like i like i'm always willing to cook food for anyone who asks obviously a little money my way doesn't doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sure, hurt sure. um but yeah i mean like anyone can get in touch with me on instagram you can always dm me on instagram i i guess clubhouse has made me to start use twitter again even though i don't know what i'm doing with that but i know that if i get a message it notifies me so i can answer you what's your instagram handle yeah so it's uh at MattBook pro one zero one four i this is i literally just am getting it that it's macbook <laughs> it yeah instead yeah. of macbook seriously i've That's looked cool. at it so many times the past two what months. the heck <laughs> <laughs> i'm just now getting it damn yeah. it i'm stupid <laughs> you could have gone with the big mat damn it <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, and anyways on that note <laughs> we're gonna segue. take a break and when we come back we're gonna be trying a korean snack so stay tuned roll clip we are back with um a hello korea box so first off thank you matt for your interview uh, it was so so fantastic Today, we wanted to get into our second Hello Korea box, which is Ooh, amazing. Um, so we are exciting. so, so grateful uh, for them to sending us and sponsoring the show, sending us a, another box. Um, 
So a yeah. box of goodies. I've been holding on to this longer, and I have not opened it, so I have no clue what's in it. So. All righty. Hello, Korea box. Here we go. Ready? Open. Okay. Open, 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 open. Hello, friend. Hello. It says hello. Ooh. Oh, look. They're the Korean phrase of the month. Phrase of the month. I yes. Like that. Okay, read it to me. Na na begopa. Na begopa. Nice. So this is very informal. Um begopa, it just means I'm hungry. Begopa. Begopa. What's na? Na is I. Oh. Um oh. and it you usually you'll usually hear it as nanun or nan, um, hmm. but you don't really need that because it's clear that you're talking about yourself. So yeah, it's begopa. Begopa. I am hungry. Begopa. Usually when hungry. it's around when it's around dinner time or like it's close to bedtime, uh, I will just look over at Sarah and just go, Pegopa. Because I'm always Ooh. hungry. Interesting. Boom. Looking there's at some the... fun facts. Oh, you're doing the fun facts? Yeah. No, I was just saying, there's some fun facts in the card. I like the card. Oh, I know. That's what I was going to say. Was there a yeah. card in the last the one? Because I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. dude. Because it had the little thingy with the, the what it is. It is yeah. what it is on the back. Oh. I don't remember reading the whole thing last time. I, I apologize. Wow. I should have read more. Because we had Juliet Sorry, here. Sorry, Juliet. She was like, she'll oh, just that's true. She was oh, yeah. explaining she was everything that was in there. So that's probably why I didn't Oh, look at it. guys. What? BTS bracelet? What? Oh, I know. Whoa. This is nice. I'm the very BTS excited about this. BTS ARMY. Hold on. I got to read this fact for, oh, yeah. uh, for our listeners. Drop so it. did you know... In Korea, know. you're considered to be a year old when you're born. Ooh, you also job. turn a year older at the start of a new year. So depending on when your birthday is, you may be two years older than how the rest of the world perceives you. Mm. What? What? Interesting. The more you know. That is true. Wait, depending on when your birthday is, maybe two years old. So if you're on January oh, I guess if you were 1st, born, if you're born like December. Oh yeah, thirty first. Twenty third. Or something mm-hmm. like that. Before the then, you would be born one. You'd be born. You'd be one years old, and then the next year, in a couple, like in a couple of days, you'd be two, two years old. Yeah, but you wouldn't actually turn one. Yeah, until the next December. <laughs> Woof. Confusing. That's a very yeah, confusing. Also on here is a food highlight of kimchi. The kimchi Yay. is a staple in every Korean household and is served with every Korean meal. Kimchi refers to any vegetables that have been salted, seasoned, and fermented, with the most popular being cabbage. I will say I have started eating kimchi fried rice Ooh, nice. every morning. On the regular? Every morning. Every month? It every my, morning? Yeah, it hits my macros really, really well. Ooh, so, look. See, that yes. was something that surprised me was learning that they did rice for in the morning. Lemonade candy. Oh, nice. TJ's Ooh, our churro thing is back. Ah, this is so yes. exciting. We've had this before uh, on our show, and they were Amazing. wonderful. So, um, yeah, go back and listen to that episode. Poro Poro. Amazing. Wow. I don't know any BTS songs to sing. I don't know the lyrics. Like an echo. That's it. I only know that. Yet life goes on. Yes. Put that headband on. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> you look like your daughter. <laughs> That's hilarious. You look like Robin. <laughs> I feel like I just got out of the spa. Am yes. I wearing this right? Treat yourself. 2021. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to put on the coffee milk face mask, probably not to be eaten. Oh, we have a new face mask? It's a new face mask. Coffee milk. I liked the last face mask. I did not try it. I'll try this one. I didn't try it yet either. Oh, another bag. Another pouch. Cute. Another pencil bag. Pencil. Yeah, it has a bear on it. I like this one better than the milk one, to be honest. Only just slightly more practical with the flat. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, We got more um, shrimp crackers. 
Yes, a strawberry pen. Nongshim shrimp crackers. I love their pens. These pens are great. So I don't know much. where where she's getting them, but I'm just like a. I look like a little treat. <laughs> You're a legit snack. <laughs> we got some stickers, Amazing. rainbow stickers. Those are cute. Is this a journal? Oh, it says I love you, with a little like a uh, banana milk, but strawberry milk kind oh, of nice. thing. Nice. Is this a journal? It's like strawberry milk. Yes. Oh, this is so wonderful. Wow. What's that say? Is it saranghae? Saranghae yo. Saranghae yo. Oh wait, no, sorry. Saranghae yo. Saranghae yo. Which is <laughs> like a very cutesy way of saying I love you. Yeah, watching the first episode of Startup, I now know Saranghae is I love you. Oh <laughs> yeah. Saranghae yo. And of course the Samyang ramen, the spicy one. Ooh. I just want to use this. So um, our two candies. Our Sekum Dalkum, which we just had on the show. Those strawberry, mm. uh, sour, oh, sweet, and sour candies. Yeah, so we have one that's a strawberry again and another that's a lemonade. So I say we should compare these two since we've had both. Lemon, and, uh, look at this sour face. Well, I just ate the lemon one. <laughs> is it All sour? Right. I guess I'm going to dive in. Then I got to catch up. Yep, sorry. Bro. I was like, Bro, last it. time I had this, I can't, I can't do it enough. It's a little bit hard oh, to Oh, yeah, talk. you don't chew it right. Oh, don't talk about my shoe like that. <laughs> Well, you just don't chew it. Yeah, you just swallow. Remember, you're like the you're like the owl on the center of the tube. She pop. One, one, two, crunch. Two, three, crunch. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Excited to use my strawberry. Oh pen my god! I actually just milk. did it. What, you, you just swallowed, swallowed again. Yeah. Armstrong, what, uh, the, what heck? the heck? I was just getting the sour too, and I'm like, ooh, this is good, and then it just slipped down my throat. <laughs> How does it just slip down your throat? Like, it's gone. I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> when I eat food, it's like, I want it in me. I don't want it to reside in me for a long time. I want it to go down <laughs> into my stomach. Okay. <laughs> you guys will see oh, when we meet in person. You're going to be like, this guy's eating, like, a vacuum. Exactly. What's wrong with Exactly. And that, no one's buying you an expensive meal because that thing would not be savored. It would be gone. Oh, yeah, I know. I feel bad every time I get expensive meals. Guys, uh, I just realized... This poro poro churro thing was the chocolate cream churro. On this episode, I said, this is so good. Sarah, I'm not going to save you any. Sorry. She then later heard it and was like, what? Why didn't you save me any? But she is now sitting next to me. So Sarah, (laughs) here you go. All is forgiven. We did it. Okay. So, um, yeah, we got some stickers. We got... We're getting a photo Ramen. apparently from Patrick. Stew type pultak boku. I gotta take a picture of this hilarious moment. Tangmyeon. <laughs> so yeah, spicy hot ramen, chicken flavor. Very exciting. Could be the cover. Are these stickers? And uh, yeah, I'm excited for the ramen. I love these boxes. These they're just like a little surprise every month. And yeah, each of the things that comes in it has little food, little spice, little candy, little beauty product, little. K-pop item. Sarah, how's the thing? It's awesome. She, <laughs> it's wonderful. Sarah, come come on the show. Hurry Sarah, up. voice Hurry of the up. show. Come on the show come and be the voice. strawberry candy. Like, how is it? <laughs> very good. Is it good? You like it? I love it. <laughs> it's uh, very I good. Kind of like how it makes my teeth feel when I bite into it, but I like how it tastes. Well, if you had to, if you had to give it a rating out of five, how Just many this? how many poro poros would you give it? Like a four. Four mm. out of five. All right, there you go. Nice. You heard it here first, folks. So I've now had the strawberry and lemonade sekum dalkum. I like the strawberry better. Agreed. This actually tastes better than the other strawberry ones we have. Oh, maybe they're fresher. I think, oh my God, I just did it again. 
I think that uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even mean to do it. One, I went to talk and I just two, swallowed it. Three. I think this is more taffy-like. I think the other ones were really hard. Like they had sat for a long time um, and like been yes, compromised ready. in some way. But this one, these ones were good. Much more like Laffy Taffy consistency, in my opinion. Sarah literally can't handle that I'm just sitting here with this headband on. I mean, all three of us, yeah. Just, it's just pretty tell cute. her to put it on like this, like a bow tie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a bow tie. <laughs> so it's the saddest bow tie, just flop in there. Just. Okay, so if you've been listening to this and you're like, OMG, I want to be just like the John Chi boys. I need to get this Hello Korea box full of K. It's a bunch K-pop. of people shaking their head right now. K culture. No, I don't. K snacks. Yeah, then you can get your very own Hello Korea box if you go to HelloKoreaBox.com. Use the promo code JohnChi15. It gets you 15% off your order and helps support the show. That's a double whammy. Uh, yeah. So buy yourself one, buy one for a friend. They make great gifts, whatever. Buy However, a subscription you're doing this. for a year. These yeah, are great. Um, these are so cute. I think it is 1 million percent worth it. So again, HelloKoreaBox.com. JohnChi15 is your promo code. Um, and then you can have a John Chi of your own. Um, this is so, so cute and so fun. Um, and if you're a boy and you're like, mm, I don't know if I'm ready for this, get over yourself. You're ready for it. Get Put the headband there. on. They're really great. Or get it for... Give the uh, face mask if you need to to your mom or your sister or somebody or, else. You don't you have know, to use it if you don't want it. Potential person who just likes cute I did stuff. it last week and I'm glowing. <laughs> That's true. And it's not just your face lights that are making you glow. So your skin is radiant. My skin is silky smooth. Great skin. All right. Um, so excellent for the viewers. Where can we be found? We are at John Chi Show at all platforms. <laughs> I love that you lobbed it up and then Set you're like, you know what? Up. I'm gonna go ahead and spike this. Myself. I'm gonna I'm gonna spike need my myself. stupid co-host. Service off the backboard. <laughs> <laughs> 15 yes. love <laughs> but John Chi show at all platforms and wherever you listen to your podcast of course here on YouTube and uh, you can email us at John Chi show at justlikemedia.com and of course find us on Facebook and the after party or on our normal page there uh, you can support the show at johnchishow.com slash support uh, and that is of course if you don't just want to go to hellocareerbox.com use promo code johnchi15 or you do both you know we're not going to tell you how to live your life it would be great if you did one or the other it'd be cool if you did both but you know you do you we're just here to keep you entertained keep you company while you're driving your car or walking your dogs or uh, taking your kids to work maybe it's take your kids to work <laughs> it could be take your kids to work day I mean probably be. not because we're still in the pandemic but you know who knows somebody's listening to this on that day and it's going oh my god it's it's been 10 years i've actually just released my next single and uh they're like oh my gosh it's all of these things are happening to me at once and that'd be amazing anyways uh you can find me online at kj relke anywhere that i want to be found uh you can now actually officially find me on spotify and apple music as kj relke to the dawn you can find me at patrick in the world on instagram and at p armstrong on clubhouse and I am Noak Photo or N Noak on Instagram. And uh, we are thankful for everyone watching and listening and for Matt to come on the show. So you can find him in the show notes. I think it was uh, Matt Book Pro. Don't quote 10, me. 14. 10, 10, 14. Yeah. Oh. What? 10, 14. 10, 24. Get 10, 24. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Book No, Pro. I think it's 10, 14. <laughs>
<laughs> read the show notes. We, yeah, we should have looked that part up. Sorry, Matt. And we're nah. the three best friends. <laughs> but thank you for listening and watching. And singing yes. along with KJ. Right. Uh, and now, instead of our regular outro music, I'm going to put in To the Dawn so that you can just listen to it here at the very end. Uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna play you out with my new single, To the Dawn. We'll see you next week. Until then, Chachi Heyo! Bye. Bye. Bye.
I don't know what's going on 